Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 58. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier on in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Hey, uh, a actual interview episode again. Um, and not only that, an interview with Kelly Schrader about a management career. And in true nerd journey fashion, a two-parter. That's so unexpected, John. <laughs> we can't keep it to just one. There's too much goodness. Too much goodness. Hey, uh, I, I really actually enjoyed this uh, first part. Um, listening to it again. Uh, Kelly has an interesting background that that business education that he had, uh, not just the technical stuff. Um, that that was a really interesting precursor. It, and I think I said it in the moment, it, it also kind of sounded like uh, what you need to be a good uh, pre-sales technical engineer too. <laughs> yeah, you definitely did. I remember that. Yeah. And then um, that kind of, the, it was it was difficult to hear but the, his reflections on what led to kind of a, a burnout in his uh, uh, career and uh, just um, listening to him reflect on the run-up and what actually led to that and, uh, and uh, how he overcame it. Very, very uh, interesting and inspiring, actually. Yeah, I think that's a situation probably many folks can relate to. And then... Of course, what happened after that, and maybe some folks can relate to that too. I actually enjoyed the similarities to Charlie Nichols episodes. I specifically, what jumped out at me the most was the fact that both he and Charlie Nichols did not want to be managers. Kelly specifically had a, a certain perception of what managers did and, and what they were like, and he didn't want to be that. But without further ado, let's get to the interview. This is Kelly Schrader, part one. Kelly Schrader, thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey podcast. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us who you are and uh, what your job is today? Well, as you said, my name is Kelly Schrader. I work for a uh, city government as a manager for the help desk. Let's see, all basically everything client-related, software licensing, desktops, manage a team of about 15 people, and um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Cool. Is that something that you've always been in on kind of like the end user like device and software side? Well, <laughs> up until this point, I've been in small business. So 
that means yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of, you wear all the hats in small business. Um, I've been in, worked for a defense contractor. Um, that was a company of about 70 people. Prior to that, it was a, a two-year college and then web development firm and different stints in the mixed in there where I've worked for myself. Oh, that's really interesting. So you've had a, a variety of different um, industry uh, jobs, like uh, work for a bunch of different industries. Yeah, actually, there was a GIS company in there that I forgot. So yeah, all over. Nice. Now, what actually drew you to the technology space, Kelly? Because the three of us met through the Spiceworks community. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, how did you get into IT? A lot of people, you know, they didn't study it. They fell into it. How about you? Yeah. Well, I right after um, got married, moved back to where I grew up and was looking for a job. And um, a friend of mine, his dad worked for um, worked for a big big company, and they needed people to install wiring. So I got started drawing, pulling network wiring, and about two thousand installing Cat five and. Um, did you have your own crimper? Yeah, I had, I had all the tools and I, I quickly realized that I was interested in it and I didn't want to keep doing it for the rest of my life. And so then I started, started working with the moves, ads and changes and started thinking, you know, this computer stuff is actually really interesting. And, um, this guy got laid off, went back to school, and and here I am. Nice. So you actually uh, studied it a little bit, or or did you um, get a degree in something completely unrelated? Well, so I went to a, a two-year college first, um, and that was a very technically focused degree. And then I went to a four-year college because everybody said you need a bachelor's. And so I got the bachelor's, but I got one in business administration. Um, That was kind of accidental because at the time, the four-year college, the local four-year college only had um, computer information systems in the business college. So the computer science department was just code and like heavy math coding, not even web development or lighter stuff. And I'm not wired for that. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I would still say like, you know, computer science is very, you know, algorithmic or, you know, um, software engineering focused. If you, if you want to get into it, like there, there are actually very few four year institutions that have degrees that are relevant to it. Like, you know, computer information systems or, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they'd call it management information systems. And before that they would call it, you know, business analysts or, you know, something along those lines. So it's, yeah. it's interesting that you're able to find a institution that had it. Yeah. And being local, that made it all the better, but that's kind of shaped actually one of my recommendations that I make to people when they're, they ask me, you know, what should I, should I go to college? You know, this is a discussion that I see frequently on forums and I get into in person is, you know, should I get a four-year degree? Do I need a degree? And, you know, I think it depends. 
I know there's a lot of strong opinions on this <laughs> and you guys probably heard a lot of the strong opinions even here, but, um, we've heard a lot of, it depends. This will yeah. light up the internet. I'm excited. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I think my recommendation for most people is, um, especially if they don't already have a, a career path where they're currently at would be to get a degree but to get a degree in something they care about. Not necessarily computer, whatever. Um, most organizations just look to see if you have a degree. There aren't a lot of organizations that say, well, I want somebody with a degree from this university in this discipline, therefore I'm gonna hire you and pay you $10,000 more. So getting in, do something you love. Um, if they're, if you're not sure what you love, then get something in business. Most IT people are bad at business, at least communicating. And so I, I encourage everyone that, that is going to get a degree to at least take some classes in business and understand it, know how to talk the talk and be able to communicate in ways that the business decision makers can understand. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um... You said, if you don't know what you love, I, if you don't know what you love, then you might want to spend some time thinking about that too. Yeah. Like that is a, that's a bigger problem, right? But honestly, it's something that, you know, plagues a lot of people. They need to figure out what it is that they want to do with their lives, right? Yeah. Well, and I think there's some place where people don't, they know what they love, but they don't know how to get a degree in that. You know, I love video games board games. I can't really get a degree in those things, you know, so it's just get the degree in something then that's practical. And most four-year universities are terrible at IT. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, something else that you said, you know, which was um, maybe as a default, get a business degree. That, that I find that very interesting. Um, a lot of business programs focus on things like financial modeling and like kind of basic accounting backgrounds that I think a lot of technologists don't have any ideas about. Have you found that helpful in your career? Significantly. Um, the, the ability to be able to compile a budget, to be able to market my ideas in a way that um, is using their terminology rather than mine has been significant to the success of different things that I've had to do. And that communication between the two parties, the technology department and the rest of the organization is the one that needs the most work, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And it's even, it, I think it's worse with executives. You know, I can translate, you know, a technical need for, you know, the guy who loves cars pretty easily. Um, you know, just about anybody can find a point of reference, but business decision makers, they want it converted. They want everything converted into bottom line, no matter what their hobbies or interests are. So at the end of the day, they're going to want to know, is this going to move the dial on my organization? Not just do I understand it from a, how it relates to my favorite hobby. Sure. And I think people who get into the IT field, a lot of times they end up working the help desk, right? Level one tech support. They probably don't realize that a lot of the frustration for not being able to get the things they want to do funded 
is from this inability to articulate exactly those things that you just mentioned. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, you know, I think I learned that lesson after I joined VMware, right? And I got training in in sales and the salespeople were trying to articulate, or I guess the company was trying to articulate to the salespeople how the leadership, IT leadership, you know, viewed IT projects in terms of, you know, how does it relate to the business goals of the company and not to the technology goals of individuals, you know, within the technology stack. So, you know, I got these, these lessons and I went, oh man, that's, I was not getting my projects funded and it was because I had no idea what, you know, my direct superiors, you know, had as far as like management objectives or business goals and nothing I was saying had any relationship to those objectives that that they had. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because sales has such a negative connotation for most people in IT. You know, the idea that they would ever sell something or um, go into, I mean, it's like people look down on pure technical people tend to look down on people that go into technical sales. And the reality is, is that those people in technical sales have a better chance of getting what they want done. If you have the right tool toolbox, right. And you get trained. Um, and unfortunately, like, you know, I would say that's one of the, the gaps in, in the technology and in, in IT is, is training people how to speak and think in ways that relate to their upstream management. That's unfortunately, you know, the case, but, you know, it is what it is. And maybe, you know, as part of our, you know, goal of educating people and, and what they need to do to become more effective in their jobs, maybe we can help turn that, that around. Sounds like a worthy goal. Here's a question I want to pose to both of you. So we'll start with you, Kelly, since you're the guest. Now, would you say that this ability to communicate or training in sales, training in business, naturally leads someone to a career progression that involves being a manager or not? I had no desire to be a manager when I went to school. Um, it, it was kind of the, again, the degree, I just sort of fell into business just because that was where the IT program was. It wasn't until years later that I discovered how much value I'd gotten from all the accounting, all the finance, all the marketing and sales training that I'd gotten as just part of my degree that I actually thought was mostly wasted time at the time. That's fascinating. It makes me want to uh, go to my local college and take some uh, business classes. Well, maybe you could just add in some classes on business to the John White School of Mentoring. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I'm not teaching. I'm just taking them. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, managing people is a whole different skill maybe than just, you know, business management. Um, although, you know, maybe there's, there's classes in that, you know, in a business administration degree. Um, I actually have no idea. I'm actually curious, Kelly, at the point when you just, you said, I don't want to be a manager. What did you think being a manager was all about at that time? And how has that changed a little bit? 
Well, it was sort of like the sales. Um, management was kind of a dirty word. Um, and people that went into management were kind of sellouts. Um, this was a few years ago, too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the thought of ever actually just managing people, you know, you got the Dilbert, pointy-haired boss image, you know, just these these terrible caricatures of what it means to be a manager. Um, and I, I never wanted to be like that. Um, well, to be fair, they're completely accurate portrayals of terrible managers, mm -hmm. right? But I, having had some really good managers in my career, I have to say that um, the, the job of management is uh, very, you know, being an effective manager, you know, and actually motivating people and, and uh, um, looking over their careers and, and working on their career progression with them. It's, it's, something I've, you know, suddenly uh, a lot of respect for. <laughs> well, and I, I discovered um, in my previous job how much I loved it. Um, I was, the position I was hired into was kind of the small business IT manager. Um, you know, there was one guy there that hired me basically to be his replacement at some point. Um, but it quickly became apparent that there was too much going on for me to handle. Um, and we staffed up actually to the point where I had three people under me, um, by the end of it. And I realized that the things that I loved the most about my job, um, were connecting people within the org to ideas and solutions and, developing my team that that actually sounds very close to technical sales too so yeah <laughs> what are you accusing me of john <laughs> and i'm curious about how the uh the technology aspect the the actual doing and fixing of specific technology problems kind of became something that wasn't as interesting That just kind of came over time. Um, I It used to be the thing I loved was somewhere between customer service and making things tick. You know, at the two-year college, you know, I did the full um, high virtualization thing, got them from completely physical and all virtual and networked their whole infrastructure together. I did the the whole deal, all the networking, firewalls, pretty much any technology that was current at the time I had my hands in at some point on some level. And, and I realized that as time went on that I was finding less and less enjoyment, um, not necessarily in making things work, but in the figuring out how to make things work. I had less tolerance for things being broken and having to figure out a fix. So the ratio of, wow, I got that solved to the, I really hate this because it's not working, started to move in the negative direction. Yeah. I think a lot of us have been in that situation where we get tired of the grind. Now, did you, 
as you began to be, I guess you were trained up to be this guy's replacement. What kind of training did you get on that as that new manager? <laughs> it's small business. I mean, it's, you know, you bring the skills in with you and then whatever you've, whatever you want to get, you um, have to figure it out on the job, fixing the things that are broken. So there really wasn't any, there was zero managerial training. Um, there was some technical training, but mostly it was just the deep end. But I mean, that's, that's kind of normal. Small business, you wear all the hats. And if you don't know what the hat is like, you try it on and make it work. There's no O'Reilly book on people management. <laughs> Not yet. There can be a John White book of people management, though. What what animal would be on the cover is the question. It's like the, the Minotaur or like a Hydra. I think maybe. we put that to the vote. Like, <laughs> let the let the masses decide, John. <laughs> I'm actually interested in that. Maybe I'm nitpicking here, but uh, I'll go ahead and do it. When you said that you were losing your interest in the technology, like building out the technology solution, well, I, I guess I just gave it away there. Was it that you were not interested in the ideation and the problem solving phase, or were you no longer interested in kind of the follow through, like overseeing the nitty gritty details of that, like kind of plotting process of um, mm -hmm. the actual doing? Well, that was, that was part of the, I think the shift for me was because positionally in my, my job prior to that, um, I had been the subject matter expert, you know, I had, I had people that were kind of under me, I was kind of a lead. Um, and so I'd do some teaching, but if something needed to get done, I was the one to do it in that role. I had people that were smarter than me and better than me at what needed to get done. And so for the first time I was able to go through the ideation, go through the problem solving and then say, here, make it happen. And they would go do it and they would do it really well. And so I was able to actually see that my enjoyment of technology was not tied to the implementation. I, again, I don't know that really sounds like technical sales could be right up your alley. Well, it, it sounds like a move to enterprise architect as well. Kind of like the AJ Kuftik and uh, Paul Woodward Jr. discussions we had. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, and, and one thing that, that uh, I think kind of steers me away from technical sales or not necessarily steers me away, but um, makes it less attractive to me, I think, is that the other thing that I really discovered is how much I enjoyed developing people. Um, so not just finding the solutions, not just connecting people with answers, but um, making, giving people opportunities to, um, to do more and be better and improve themselves. Kind of the everything that I wished I'd had when I was a sysadmin, I wanted to be able to provide for other people. And I think that's what pushed me more into management than into the, the sales arena. So the development part, but along with the development 
comes the hiring and firing and performance management, right? So mm-hmm. is that, do you see that as a conflict or as an unfortunate, you know, side job that you also have to do or as an important, like integrated part of that or some fourth option? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a part of the job that I don't, I don't prefer. Well, the hiring part is fun. It once I get to the point of hiring because then it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, being able to, to meet the need, give people opportunities um, but dealing with performance, dealing with especially negative performance, that's not fun. I, I don't know that that'll ever change. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine that anybody really like relishes that. Wait, no, I can't imagine <laughs> that people do relish and get some kind of sick enjoyment out of negative performance reviews. But I mean, that's, <laughs> again with the like uh ideal of the bad boss right not the yep. good manager yep. catbert <laughs> <laughs> now did you actually have in the small business role did, were you actually in control of how much of a raise people got or were you more of an intermediary between yourself and someone above you fighting for the person's raise that kind of thing I, um, yeah, if this were a survey on Spiceworks, I'd be checking the influence, the decision maker box. So yeah, I didn't have the, the exact purse strings, but, um, it was based on what I would say. So there was, eh, yeah, it was kind of a mixture of whether or not I had to fight for them to get the pay raise. Um, I mean, it was, it was a defense contractor, so money was more plentiful than your typical small business. Got it. Got it. How about just that transition? Like I, I know that there's some people who get out of the, you know, day to day doing because of the grind and like the emotional toll that it can take. Is that something that you ever faced and like that, you know, you felt kind of renewed um, by, you know, finding this new love of uh, um, managing people and and helping them to develop? Well, my, my trajectory was kind of interesting going from the defense contractor to where I am now. Um, I actually burn out at that job. Hmm. Um, I had, made the classic mistake of accepting some responsibilities that were not part of my skill set. Um, so, I mean, I was offered a, a pay raise and it was well done compared to what I hear other people go through with <laughs> things like that. But, um, but I accepted the, I accepted the responsibilities and it did not go well. Um, so over the next two years was just kind of, it was a grind, like what you're describing with the, the technical work, but this was, um, I mean, they weren't even terrible responsibilities. It was just not what I'm wired for. It was very detail oriented, very record keeping. And I'm not good at that. So I, I completely burn out. There was also some significant, um, 
medical issues for one of my children that compounded everything and, and I resigned. Um, I mean, there was, there was some things where my boss basically said, if you don't turn things around, we're going to have to encourage you to find a different job. Mm. Um, so it wasn't a hundred percent just me saying, yep, I'm out. But, um, but actually he took those responsibilities away from me that I wasn't good at. My performance started improving and he said, Hey, maybe you can stay and decided my wife and I, that it was just time to time to go. Um, but that led to 18 months of unemployment, mm. which was really crazy because um, I, I didn't have a single actual interview for 16 of those months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not even phone interviews. I submitted so many job applications. I mean, at first I started off, you know, okay, these are the jobs I want. I'm going to apply for only the things that interest me. And then as time went on, you know, it got harder and harder to turn down those, you know, sysadmin one jobs, <laughs> just trying to find something. And, um, but they never went anywhere. You know, I'm, I'm going, if I were the hiring manager, I would have at least called me, you know, cause you want to know, well, maybe they're a flight risk, but you know, the person's 90% of our job requirements. So I don't know. It was, it was pretty crazy just living through it. Mm. So and, can, can I just, uh, you know, it sounds like two years is too long to have responsibilities that don't match your your temperament. So even if at the end of two years you you roll that part back, like so much emotional, like it, so much has been just worn away by that grind that it's kind of very very difficult to go back and say, oh, okay, now I'm happy now that I don't have to do that stuff. Am I reading you right on that? Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, it was well, I I was burned out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was able to, I was able to function at what looked like a really high level because it was compared to what I was prior to losing those responsibilities, but it was still, um, not, not sufficient. Well, you have to walk through yeah. the same doors and you have to sit in the same seat and like breathe the yeah. same air and look, look at the same walls. And like, there's everything there that's just reminding you of like what it was like to be ground down. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I hated my job. I mean, it was one of those things where you wake, I woke up in the morning, you know, my stomach hurt and just dragged myself out of bed. Even though, I mean, the organization, aside from this one thing, um, was a fantastic organization, some amazing people that worked there. And I really loved it, you know, but could not keep on going. Yeah. Once, once things have uh, gone that badly, it's kind of very, very difficult to, to turn, turn back the clock. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe if they catch it like three months in or six months in, Ooh, you don't look like you're enjoying this. Like, can we like maybe dial the, you know, reverse this because we like you so much like it, you know, but two years in when, when all that damage is done, very, very difficult. Yeah. 
And it but, sounds to me like you ended up being a supervisor instead of a manager, like it, too much administrative responsibility, not enough actual focusing on the people. Uh, I don't know that for sure based on what you said, but that's what it sounds like. It made me think of a supervisor out in a manufacturing plant who's like, you got to be on it, guys. You got to be in, you know, a lot of keeping the folks in line. Um, I think I, I think I could have been there. Um, the guys I had working for me were fantastic. So I, I had to do zero motivation. Um, so from, I think I would have been a supervisor if I would have had somebody that would required more energy, but because they required so little, I was able to actually do some guiding and some helping rather than just directing. I can, I can only imagine that, you know, defense contractors just have probably tons and tons of like job related detail work and record keeping that they have to do for their projects that, that they want somebody in the organization to do who probably knows something about what's going on. But I mean, if it was anything to do with that and you had absolutely no interest in it, like I can, again, I can only imagine that it's just, it's just emotional damage over years <laughs> instead of, uh, um, Hey, increased responsibility. They, they believe in me. It, like maybe they mean it as a good thing, but it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, when they, when they first brought me in, I was, I was pretty gung ho, you know, because yeah, like you said, they must think I'm pretty awesome to give me this set of responsibilities. And, you know, it came with a clearance upgrade so I could carry a top secret, which is, you know, that's pretty shiny. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of meaningless, but, you know, at the time I thought it was cool. <laughs> that's too funny. So now this, this period where you were applying, um, it really feels like um, you're at a complete loss as to what was going on. Did you ever find anything like that you changed or did differently or applied to different jobs or applied to different ways that seemed to make a difference? Or are you still in the dark about it? No, actually, well, there were a couple of things. One, one was getting some feedback about dealing with ATS systems, it's redundant. Application tracking systems, kind of working with the algorithms that there's some sites out there that will basically you post the the job description and then you post your resume and then they'll say, hey, you hit this many keywords out of the, the set that are in the, the job description. And it's basically a way of fooling any algorithm that would would filter you out. I don't, I don't know actually how much difference that made for me personally, because I wasn't applying to too many jobs that actually would have required that. That probably had an ATS. I think I can think of one that I got a phone interview with. Um, the other one was actually from a. A friend of mine who's not in technology at all, but he he counseled me to to sell myself in the sense that um, he he's this was in this was advice he got from his mentor, which was every line on your resume needs to be something that no one else can say. 
And the idea was that rather than being like evaluated vendor RFPs for implementation, tell a story in every single line that's, that's real rather than using these normal um, normal words that all the resume generation sites will tell you to use. Instead, tell a story and then make it apply to a bottom line. So rather than just saying, you know, well, we changed the power settings on all the workstations and saved money. We, no, we, we developed this, we reduced, you know, the uptime of all of our systems. So they shut off every night and that saved the, the company X dollars over period of time. Um, and then the other input that he gave me that was really interesting because I, like a lot of other IT people that I talk to, have a really strong sense of, of ethics and right or wrong. And so I felt really strange about um, estimating those numbers because I felt like I was making them up. Um, and he works as a consultant and he said, you know, if, if I were coming in as a consultant, I would ask you for your best estimate. And then I would use that in my report. You're a subject matter expert on your systems. Might not know the exact dollar figures, but you can probably come up with a decent estimate. And he said, that's entirely appropriate to put on a resume. You know, don't, don't guess wildly, but, um, you know, you, <laughs> so I did that. Mm -hmm. I, I took my resume, I completely rewrote it, took all the bullet points, you know, it, it was about three to one. So I'd take about three bullet points and put them into one paragraph. Um, I had, I went from, so zero interviews, zero phone calls to a phone interview and three full interviews in just a few weeks. So it sounds like uh, it's a it's a methodology you believe in. It certainly worked for me. I mean, <laughs> it was like it was like A/B testing that that idea. It just yeah, it's like flipping a switch. Then, so sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, from now being on the other side of it, looking at my own resume and then looking at other people's resumes as they come in, I think, man, this could be so much better if you told a story. <laughs> so uh, from my own perspective, obviously shaped by my own experience, um, I feel like it, it is a better way to, to write a resume. It's interesting because you hit on a couple different things there that I think we've talked about before, you know, having, you know, going to those sites and saying like, you know, here's the position I'm applying for, and here's my resume. And it goes, well, you you've hit this many of the keywords, but not the you know these others. It's like, it's like subtly, like some people will use that and like say, okay, well, I just need to copy paste those keywords. And it was like, no, no, really, what you should be doing is writing your resume <laughs> so that you're telling them, hey, you have these requirements, and here's what I've done before that's relevant to those requirements, mm -hmm. right? So. Because, and, you know, we've talked about this in, in previous episodes, is like the, the hiring manager saying, I have this problem, I need somebody who can do these things. And you want to submit a resume that says, I've done those things to solve that problem before, right? And, and that should be immediately obvious in like 
15 seconds of just like glancing at it. Oh, this person read the job description and gave me a resume that was relevant and talked about the parts of their job history that were relevant to that job description. Mm -hmm. Like that's like you're in the like top 95% right away. Right. Because most people are just like saying, here's all the jobs I've had and here's what I've done. And here's a copy of it. I haven't read your, I haven't read your job description at all. (laughs) Yeah. I, I rewrote every resume for almost every position, especially there at the, towards the end. Um, I mean, it, sometimes it was a minor change. You know, I'd put in technology names or take them out depending on the, the job description. So, you know, if they really didn't seem to care about which Windows versions I'd worked with, then, you know, desktop operating systems was sufficient. That's good stuff. And it seems to speak to the point that it is extremely difficult without someone else's help to see the things that are needed in your own resume. Mm -hmm. I know that if John hadn't helped me several times, I might never have learned these things either. Well, and I think that I learned it from somebody who pointed it out to me, right? So like Mm -hmm. only somebody who's like sat on the other side of that, that, um, that, desk like who's like reading job applications can go listen (laughs) like we told you what we're looking for and then you're not telling us like whether or not you can do that (laughs) like isn't that like the first thing that you should do with this resume is say hey yeah i can do that and here's all the times that i've done it before you know like but most people you know they apply for a job like once every seven years maybe so they're not experts you know and hopefully right. you don't become an expert at applying for jobs, but you know, maybe you should be an expert at like keeping your resume re- like relevant, right. To, um, you know, the potential jobs that are out there and like document the things that you've done and how they might be relevant for other positions, even internal positions at the company that you're working for, you know, it's just an idea. And then when you do apply for something or you have an opportunity, then you just dust that thing off and, and tune it up. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I know that, well, my memory's kind of Swiss cheese right now, but just recalling projects that I've worked on and, and why they would matter, uh, I mean, it's you lose stuff. So, you know, having that updated resume is going to make a difference when it comes time to, because it's going to come. I mean, that's I think that's one of the lies that we tell ourselves I see a lot of professionals do this on the forums that, you know, should I leave my job is a very common topic title on IT forums. And I think for some reason, we think that we're going to get a job and it's going to be, we're going to support this company for 50 years and then we're going to retire. And the reality doesn't bear that out. Yeah. Maybe if you're, especially if you're in small and medium businesses, like, what's the average lifetime of a small business, right? It's probably not 50 years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not a, I don't have any data to back that up, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say most, uh, most $25 million a year, you know, in revenue businesses don't last 50 years. So half of the ones I worked at no longer exist. There you go. Or they may just not grow any larger than that while someone like yourself needs to grow their skills and their career, but they're, that small business can't offer you 
the thing that's next for you. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Career okay. progression. So I have a question for you, Kelly. Did the, so during this time that you were unemployed, I know you probably did a lot of soul searching and it allowed you to spend some time really thinking about what do I want to do with my career? How did the rewriting of the resume help you decide what you wanted to do or did it at all? The rewriting of the resume kind of came at the end. Um, the end of those 18 months, it was, it was a pretty introspective time. Um, I think I really, I, I started to actually question my competence. It was really difficult um, going through, and I've got a lot of empathy for people that go through periods of unemployment now because, you know, when you're applying to, I don't know how many hundreds of jobs I applied for with no, absolutely zero to show for it. It was kind of one of those, okay, am I, am I not the person I think I am? Am I not as skilled? You know, are, are all these rejections actually right about me? Um, and you know, I honestly, I think it's, it's a little bit miraculous that I ended up where I did because I applied for a lot of jobs that I was qualified for that I would have probably ended up hating. And I ended up at a job doing something that I really love without it really even being on the radar or something that I aimed for specifically. That's not great advice. <laughs> hey, everybody, just, you know, be unemployed until the perfect job lands on you. It doesn't, it's not really a good formula. That's that's not advice that we endorse. <laughs> not part of the John White School of Mentoring curriculum? <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's not in the plan. Uh, I... Yeah, it, it, it's it's very very difficult, right? And uh, and I have a lot of empathy for that situation too. But um, you know, and and also, you know, we tend to like form our opinions of ourselves by the feedback that we're getting. And the feedback that you were getting in that situation was, you're not worth calling back. You're not worth calling back. You're not worth calling back. And if people say that or demonstrate that to you often enough, then you start to go well, maybe these people are right. <laughs> like it, it actually takes an incredible ego to like resist, like even considering that. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm really glad that you got through that. It, it, it really kind of speaks to the idea that, you know, in these positions, especially in uh, small and medium business IT, it, we don't have the tools. We don't have the training. Like we don't have the mentorship that we really need to kind of, manage a career, right? No, there's nobody there to teach us how to manage a career. And that's really, really unfortunate. Like, I, I mean, hopefully that's actually, I guess, one of the like stated goals of the podcast is to kind of put all this advice out there. So if people are doing a Google search, then hopefully they, they stumble across it, right? Right. So uh, thanks, thanks for that, putting that out there. You're welcome, glad to. All right, Nick. Um, great interview with Kelly Schrader, at least for part one. Um, really enjoyed listening to it again. Uh, man, 
that a uh, bit about rebuilding the resume, uh, just gold. I'm I'm really glad to hear, you know, some of our ideas echoed back to us. Uh, we have somebody else who, you know, kind of discovered it on his own as well. And uh, I just really breaks my heart to kind of hear the psychological toll of, of the burnout and, and the unemployment period. But uh, I'm really glad that he's back on his feet now. Yeah, I agree. Man, when you're off for that long that you really have to do some soul searching and I am sure people can identify with the imposter syndrome you get of sending resumes out and no hits and send more out and no more hits. So that's, that's just tough all the way around. I really liked that resume advice about putting quantifiable results, not just rewriting it to the job position, but because I did this thing, it produced this kind of result for the company. That's great stuff. Yeah, really, really good. I, I <laughs> it, it was a really great observation. Um, and, and the fact that he was able to make that change and then just see that immediate result in the number of responses he was getting, it kind of just validates his experience of, you know, what, what is an actual, um, effective resume. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, no. Uh, how about you? Nope. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners. Uh, tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at V Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off. This is where you say adios. Adios, yes. And join the John White School of Mentoring. What jumped out at me the most was the fact that <laughs> All right. I'm I'm cool. All right. I'm cool. I'm cool.